Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz. You are my people of the book once again. Another week gone, and we are here past the middle of March. Can you believe it? And my guest today. I mean, last week I moved into an area completely foreign to me with politics, and today another area not not as、um, unfamiliar, but an area also that、uh, I don't often dabble in.、Um, I leave it to to the business people and the the guys who do the business shows. But but this is this something that that really fascinated me. And my guest today,、um, I'm very very pleased to introduce to you, Eddie Pinar. Eddie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Janice. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks, thanks for giving me your time.、Um, and Eddie, we're going to be chatting、um, about you, your background, obviously, but also about your latest book, which is called "Life Profitability: The New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success." So,、um, Eddie, your background—I have to ask you, ask you what what this means. Your background has always been as a bootstrapped founder. What's a bootstrapped yeah. founder? Yeah, so, so, so bootstrapping、uh, comes from an old saying, as far as I know, which is、uh, to pull, pull, pull yourself up by your bootstraps,、um, right? And I think in the business context, that generally meant in the past that you would firstly self-fund the business, but for many people,、um, that means literally starting, you know, not necessarily with the money part of funding a new business or a new idea, but the actual skills. That you have、um, skills, network, those kinds of things,、um, and building a business that way versus, you know, say going to a bank to get a loan or to a venture investor to get the capital to start the business. So that is where bootstrapping comes from. Okay, so so you you started pretty young because you started your first business when you hadn't actually finished varsity yet. You were still at I think it was the University of Stellenbosch, if I'm not if I'm not、uh, wrong. And、yep. you you launched your first business. It, it was it started off as something called Woo Themes, and then developed into Woo Commerce, which I actually had heard of, believe it or not.、Um, <laughs> and that was back in 2007. And that was it's actually a, it was a huge e-commerce platform, and it it was the second largest e-commerce platform after Shopify, which is a massive achievement. I mean, that's amazing. And to do that when you were still at Varsity, you you started that off. So so tell me a bit about that because, I mean I, I mean I I have read read skim read your book, and. I mean, it's incredible. You was, I mean, the 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 the, the toss-up between you were spending all your time working, and you know, between student life and work life, and and you were giving up the student life, and someone was saying, yeah, but he was getting better marks than you, and you weren't getting great marks, and look at where he is now, look at where you are now, and it's quite a comparison. So, so tell me about that. Yeah, and you know what? The, I think, Janice, the, the interesting story there is、um, is probably less the financial success of it, right?、Um, and I think, and this is me totally reflecting on the journey since, right? So that was all the way back in 2007. I finished studying. 
uh, got my honors degree in 2007. So this is 14 years later, and um, I <laughs> I would want to believe that I'm slightly slightly wiser than I was 14 years ago. But I, I would think I so. Think, <laughs> I, I think looking back, the, the thing that was important there was, and I didn't know this at the time. At the time, I think the, the idea and the reason I worked on, on these things and the reason I, you know, d- didn't study as much as I should have versus, I mean, I didn't live a life like a student versus, you know, trying to build a business was probably more, uh, kind of rebellious streak, right? So it's almost a, um, a bit of a negative perspective to take on life. Say, like, I'm discontent with the way things are. I'm going to try and change it. Um, what I now think is actually more important about that was that somewhere, somewhere within me, I had this subconscious awareness about who I was, what my magic zone is, what the kinds of things are that gets my you know, kind of brain on fire in a good way. And I was essentially doubling down on that because, and the reason I say that is I, I, I don't think I'd be doing a good job telling my story or sharing some ideas here. Um, if I merely propose to anyone and especially students studying, right, that you should follow that path and you should work yourself to the bone and, um, you know, you should not live a life like you know, as a student or whatever space you're in your, in your life. I think what is so much more important is for, for all of us to find and figure out like, what is that, that one or two or three or whatever, how many things in, in our lives that truly, truly, truly matter to us. And what I now know at least is for me, you know, success, um, financial success, all those things, that's only a very small, you know, part thereof. Like there are many other things that are much more, you know, meaningful to me. Um, and I said, this is, this is very much being reflective and I don't, you know, I, I don't mean to sound holier than thou in that sense. Right. Um, but that's the kind of the, the learning or at least my perspective 14 years later on those decisions that I made as a student back in the day. Right. Right. We're going to take a break and we're going to be right back. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I'm back and I'm chatting to my guest, Addie Pinnell, and we're talking about his book, Life Profitability, The New Measure of Entrepreneurial Success. So before the break, Addie, we were chatting about how you started out, how you launched your first business when you were still a student back at Varsity, and that business was um, WooCommerce in 2007. And you were talking about the lessons that you learned from that and what you, you took forward from that. So after WooCommerce, you you successfully left that business. When you left the business, it was still a successful business and it continued to be successful. Am I right? Yes, and it's uh, completely flourished uh, you know, without any of my involvement since. So that, that just shows that you... you you launched it successfully, it thrived, and it continues to thrive. And after that, you then launched the email marketing platform Conversio in 2014. Correct, so, yes. so tell me, tell me about that. Yes, and I, and I think as a, almost as a segue to um, what we were discussing before about finding that, that magic zone. So, uh, what most people, um, you know, that, that look at, you know, my journey and WooCommerce journey don't necessarily realize is, that by the time I stepped, you know, stepped out of the business as CEO in 2013, um, I also sold my equity in the company to to my partners Magnus and Mark, and they ultimately WooCommerce went through a big acquisition in 2015, 
where they sold to Automatic, which is the the holding company for WordPress, the you know mammoth content wow. management wow. Um, you know platform. So. And I'm not familiar with the financial you know, details of that acquisition. What I do understand though is that it's orders of magnitude bigger than the valuation that I got when I had sold out or sold my shares to to my partners 18 months earlier. But the important thing there was that at that time, I, I I had a box that I needed to tick personally, which was I wanted to prove to myself that I could take everything that I'd learned in building with Eames and WooCommerce and that I could reapply those things and build another business. Like that was a personal kind of checkbox for me. So, um, which, which means, um, and I, the, the kind of where I'm going with this is like in hindsight, you know, many people have asked me like, you know, AD, don't, don't you regret selling out kind of, you know, you know, short basically, right? And not sticking around, being patient for another 18 months. And the, the honest and truthful answer is always no, because if I had done that, I would have likely not been able to tick that box that I needed to tick at that time, which was I needed to, to do something myself. I needed to challenge myself doing a new thing. So again, like that's, that part of my kind of, you know, life lessons and, and how I now think, you know, about life and, and how I think everyone should think about their lives is, you know, really figure out like, what is that thing that we truly want? Um, and oftentimes those things aren't necessarily, you know, money itself or fame. Um, it's mostly the things that those things tend to, to unlock. Right. So, so you sold, you moved on and you moved on to Conversio. Yeah. So. We um, founded Convergio, as you mentioned, 2014, um, and I think that's where, you know, when you get into that space of, you know, having having built a business before, having made mistakes, but also learning some things. Um, for me, at least, like I, ha- I have a massive thirst for learning and a curiosity, so that's what drives me in terms of you know trying things again, um, trying to improve on things, and it's going through, it was going through that kind of journey with Convergio that my team and I stumbled onto this idea of, you know, we as a team wanted to be what we called a, a life and family first company. And what that essentially meant was that for each of us in the village individually, we wanted to do work that was fun, stimulating, challenging and profitable, right? So it needed to hit that financial, you know, kind of uh, goal or that checkbox as well. But we wanted to do that in a way where we acknowledged that the most meaningful experiences that we could have was outside of the team and the business and with people that weren't in the business. So I, I dislike this notion that kind of your your teammates in a business are, fa- are family. Like they're not family. Yes. Like most of us have actual families and like that is however you define that, right? I I just think that this, it's almost cult-like how we sometimes glorify capitalism um, by saying, hey, this is like family. Like we're, we're all family. We're all part of this. Um, Those lines is, are very fine, very fine lines. <laughs> exactly. And and I think it's like there's nothing – and I don't mean to sound that negative about it. Um, I think it's just a very glib and narrow way of, of seeing things. But in in my, my, my kind of exploration and learning with my team in this kind of this life and family first approach, that's that was the precursor to me 
you know, ultimately coining this term called life profitability, which was in the very kind of, um, you know, specific sense of the word was how, how can I build a business that is not just financially profitable, um, in the narrow sense of the word, but, but truly kind of, you know, profitable in the context of my whole life? How can I build a team and enable the kind of work environment for my, 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 my colleagues, my teammates in a way that empowers their lives outside of business? Cause I think that's what, capitalism is supposed to do right capitalism is supposed to empower the rest of our life um because the rest of our lives are much much more important than the work that we ultimately do um yet we fixate so much on this ambitious professional pursuit of whether it's again like whether it's work and just you know being employed right and um you know climbing a corporate ladder or building one's own business like both of those two things are, are similar in that regard but it becomes a very narrow um a narrow, empty approach to life almost where life can be so rich if we just broaden the lens at which we kind of you know, view our lives. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to take another break and then we're going to delve a little bit deeper into that concept. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I am back with my guest, Adi Pinar. And we are talking about his book and the concept of life profitability, the new measure of entrepreneurial success. So, Eddie, you're talking about the, we're talking about the concept of capitalism and what that actually should mean. And before the break, we're talking about when you, you sell your businesses and when you build your businesses. I have to ask you, when you sell your businesses, I mean, and you sell them as, as successful, thriving, um, organizations and they continue to thrive long after you have actually um, left them. Are you already thinking about what, what's next? Do you know? Do you ever have downtime? Do you ever spend time after you've um, moved on thinking, hmm, um, I'm not sure what my next idea is? Or do you always, are you, are you ever at a loose end or do you, are you always just chasing the next thing because you, You've got so many ideas that you don't know which one to to move on to next. The the honest answer, Janice, is that I, um, and not that I'm an ideas machine, by the way. Um, to the extent that most most of the ideas I have are pretty bad ideas and um, have caused you know, well, have created failures and, and mistakes, right? So, but yes, I think. There are you no know, failures, Eddie. There are lessons. <laughs> There's only lessons. That, that I, I actually believe that um, for the longest time. The, my personal website um, had the tagline uh, of making new mistakes because um, that was a motto for, you know, of mine for, for the longest time. Due to that, I, I'm very much a kind of learn by doing trial and error type of person. But the, I think the two things that I've learned about myself, um, and that's also you know part of how I define my own life profitability, is that one, I I love diverse ideas and. Um, you're really and engaging diverse people that's around those ideas, and I think the, the probably the best example of that is if I you know if I show you my, my digital bookshelf at least, um, and I show you kind of how widely I read. Like I I absolutely love that, and like to that extent, like I will always be thinking about new ideas and new angles to take on on whatever thing. So that's the one part of that. Like that's part of my magic zone. The other part of it is that I truly like making and creating things um, and like putting parts of myself out into the world. Like my, my biggest, um, at least how I define this now, it, my kind of my purpose on, on, you know, on this earth is 
to wake up every day and to figure out what do I need to do today to manifest the truest version of myself. And part of that manif- you know, manifestation is by you know, b- putting things out there. And oftentimes a business is you know, the, one of the more sustainable ways to, to do those things in the long term because it, you know, becomes, it funds itself and you can kind of grow the impact that you can have um, to a separate extent. And to answer your question directly about you know, taking a break after you know, after selling a business, um, I wrote this book. Uh, predominantly, the biggest part of the book, the biggest part of the process, was after selling Convergio at uh, in kind of late 2019. So there sometimes is that next thing there, um, and there is that almost that redistribution of um, you know resources, whether it's time or financial capital, or just kind of attention and, and focus to put into these other projects. And, you know, the, the book itself wasn't, like, the, my goal with the book is not, you know, monetary gain. It really is to hopefully, you know, hopefully start a new conversation in our communities, and especially our business communities, about what it means to, to build a business, how to empower team members, um, and just the communities and societies in which we, we operate these businesses. And, I mean, obviously you don't have a crystal ball. Um, you know, we wish we did, but none of us has that. <laughs> do you know when something is going to be successful? Um, you know, do you have a feeling? And if it's not working out, do you just do you quickly discard it or do you think it's worth persevering? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I think the first one uh, that I, I'm mostly, I'm big on intuition and especially my, my own intuition in that sense. Um, and what I tend to do in terms of making a decision about whether I should pursue something or I should support someone else that pursues something is like, what is their, like the extent of their intuition and conviction around that idea? So I think if that's strong, like I will always kind of, um, you know, optimize for that. And I always follow that initial signal. And the best book that I ever read for, for anyone that hasn't read it was, um, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, book Blink way back, you know, years ago, um, that talks about how that, that intuition is oftentimes, it's not perfect, right? But it's oftentimes um, a pretty good answer. So I think that's the first part thereof. The second part thereof is I I actually think that, you know, if anyone asks me, Adi, what's the one thing that you attribute your kind of your success in life you know, to? I actually think it is my persistence and, and perseverance um, and doing so, you know, being able to do the tough things and, and show up every single day when you don't necessarily know what the answer is and how you're going to overcome this challenge. I, I think I'm good at that. That's something that comes naturally to me. Um, I, I will add to that though, that there's often things that I should have either quit completely or at least changed materially much sooner than I ultimately did because that would have contributed to the goals that I was, was actually working towards. So I, for me, at least I've not completely figured out where, you know, where that line is between, um, you know, stick with that kind of, you know, that gut feel and that conviction um, versus, you know, I need to make a decision about, you know, quitting and, you know, perhaps changing something materially and moving on. But, but the, and the perseverance, it doesn't, you know, you've, you've got to work on the perseverance so that it doesn't, interrupt that work-life balance though so that's that's something that you have to learn how to balance and, and how to work on adequately so that it's working out in both spheres though and that takes well, time yeah well yes and and I, th- I probably have a bit of a kind of a contrarian view about work-life balance there right and that's for me at least is i think work-life balance for most people doesn't get them to the goal that they really want um because 
I don't believe that work and life are these completely separate things on opposite ends of a spectrum that can put each other in balance. Um, I think work is just part of life. And we've all experienced how these things aren't independent. Because if we've had a, a, you know, a bad day at work and we go home, we are likely getting into an argument with our spouse or our kids, right? There, there is that you know, kind of flow over. Similarly, if I have a you know, argument with my wife tonight and I go back to work tomorrow, like part of me is still with that unresolved argument from, from last right. night. So, so those are maybe glib and simple examples, right? But that just immediately shows that those two things are always interconnected. And I like part of what I want to do with life profitability is again, like, you know, just I want to blur those lines and say, Listen, you know, we're, we're on this earth to live first and foremost. We're not here on to, to do work, right? Work is just part of what we need to do. So work is part of life. And I would much rather start shining the light on those other things in our life and then say, what are those other things? And alongside work, how do we find some, some measure of balance? However, we want to define that balance, but I don't think it's, you know, work or life. So when we talk about persistence, then I think the, persistence there should be about constantly being aware of all those things that I would call are kind of in my, in my life portfolio and work just being one of them. My family is another, right? My health, sleeping well, those things are, are other things. Um, but really keeping that, you know, kind of persisting with that whole life portfolio and making sure that I'm not neglecting any single part thereof at any given stage. So in other words, we shouldn't be compartmentalizing anything, no, and, I, and in fact, I think if if you think about kind of energy and kind of in terms of physics, energy kind of wants to move freely. And as soon as you impose any kind of friction, you start losing the strength of the energy the further it goes from the source. So I think if you create that um, kind of almost natural kind of life portfolio where you allow your energy to flow between all those aspects of your life and you try and remove as much of that compartmentalization or the friction between those different states, that's how we maintain most of that energy. Um, and energy, that sounds airy-fairy here, but that literally is like the energy to kind of be present, to do the hard things, whether it's in work or at home, um, but really kind of just keep that, keep as much energy as possible because that allows for the kind of the quality of the contribution we need to make in all those different areas in our life. Right. So what is your advice to, to people? And, and I know that this is something that, that has always been a constant and something that we always hear about. To all the people, you know, we always say be present, live your life today. And, you know, and but people are always saying, I'll be happy or I'll, I'll have done enough when I've bought the big house or when I've bought my next car or when I've met the the perfect partner. And what is your advice to people who are saying that, apart from saying live in the present and live for the now, what is your advice to, to people who, who are living like that? So I, um, I, I just start my book with the story and I, I'll kind of relay the story here. Um, the story is I, from... Yeah, I read this, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I have read that. Yeah. So, and, and you know, it is, um, it, it's a sad you know, story. Um, I definitely shed, you know, uh, a couple of tears as I read through it. But the story is, uh, of Paul Kalaniti, a, a world renowned neurosurgeon. And he, he says at one stage, um, you know, his life had been building so much potential and then that potential went to waste. And, and what he means with that is that he, he had always had two big goals in his life, which was, to write a book and to have kids. 
And he was unfortunately diagnosed with, with cancer at the age of 36. And he tragically died, you know, a little more than a year later when he was 37. And in his book, When Breath Comes Air, uh, When Breath Comes Air, his, his wife ultimately had to write his, his last chapter. And his baby girl was only seven, eight months old by the time he passed away. And I, I often think about that story. And what I want to share with people here is this idea around how we sequence important things in our, in our lives. So to your point, like I am like, once I achieve X, once I make that amount of money, I'm going to do Y. The problem with that is it's not the planning. I don't think that thought pattern is wrong, but it's very, very risky for two reasons. The one is we're not guaranteed of actually getting to that outcome, right? Nothing in life is guaranteed. But more importantly, due to our mortal nature, we don't know how much time we have to get to that point. And what I what I would love to encourage people to do is to start thinking like, how do I, all those things that I, that I maybe can't get today, right? How do I start incorporating at least little bits of that into my every day and every week? How do I kind of you know, bring back some of those kind of future wants, needs, desires into my present day life? Even if it's a smaller, you know, kind of simpler version thereof, because I'm still working towards the bigger version. But I ultimately need to get more of that today because that's how I essentially de-risk my life. That's how I kind of minimize the potential regret that I have one day because I'd been building all this potential and then that potential goes to waste for you know, either due to kind of my own mortality or the mortality of those kind of, you know, the, those important, significant people around me. So that's normally where I start is how do I bring some of those future things back and not delay doing those things purely because I don't necessarily have the full means, whether financially or otherwise, to do those things today. Right. Right. And and. What do you define as, I mean, there, there's um, a, a section of your book that you you title Life Profits. What are life profits? What do you, what do you define as life profits? And I, I'm, so, if, if you're yeah. listening, I'm not talking profits for people who foresee the future. I'm, I'm talking profits as in P-R-O-F-I-T-S, profit, that, what, that, that you wish to make. Yeah, so I... Jennifer, you mean for me, I mean, I can speak about kind of, you know, how I define like those life profits in, in my personal life, right? So, um, you know, part of, and again, profitability and profits in this sense is borrowed from the financial term, the, the term that most of us understand, which is if you earn X amount and you kind of subtract the, the expense or whatever you had to put in to, to earn that amount, they're kind of the, the what is left over is profits. So I'm asking, I'm asking because I think people only associate it with, with a financial um, connotation, but, but you, you've associated with so much more. And that, that's why I'm asking you to, to, to tell me and to, to whoever is listening to explain um, further. Totally. So if we, if we start with then with that kind of that financial perspective on profit, what I then want to start thinking about is how do I kind of in terms of structuring my, my days, weeks, months, my life, create those kind of profits in other realms as well. And, and those profits are normally of kind of your time, attention, energy. So what I want to think about is how, like going back to a work day, how can I structure my work day and my work so that by the time if I close my office door at 4 p.m. or 5 p.m., whatever that time is, that I take the kind of the best 
fullest version of myself back to to my my wife and my kids, right? And not a a hollowed out version. I.e., after doing all of this work in that day, how do I kind of you know don't I like I don't walk out of you know literally with a life kind of you know a, a kind of a, a life cost or a life loss, right? That they're actually benefiting as well. And I think that doesn't just apply in terms of my family, right? I mean, we, I was speaking about energy just now. If I think about um, you know how the, just the, the citizen I am in my community, within my society. Again, like how do I live my life in a way that after I've done everything else that I needed to do, that there's still something left over that I can make a positive impact in, you know, in, in it doesn't even have to be the world, right? It doesn't have to be that grandiose. It can just be the, the community I live in. And I think what happens there is what we see in nature as well, which is this, you know, almost symbiosis of things where, um, if I, or, you know, some people might believe in, you know, in, in karma, right? But that idea of right. if we put, you know, kind of something good into the world in some way or form, it eventually kind of cycles around and it comes back to us. Yes. And I, I love the idea of that amplification then, right? Like by the time it cycles back to me, I should be in an even better position to then amplify that, that signal, that energy, whatever it is. And again, put it back out into the world. Um, and like that's an idea that that fascinates fascinates me. But that's how I think about kind of life profits. How do I kind of you know constantly kind of do things, reorientate myself, um, rethink about you know, things like you know what does good enough mean for me, and then you know making sure that after all is done, there's profits and kind of literally kind of leftover good things in all sense of the word, financially, I imagine time, attention presence energy really an amazing concept we're going to take a break and then we will be back to chat some more about this this is people of the book with janice Liebowitz. and i am chatting to my guest eddie pinar and we're talking about life profitability the new measure of entrepreneurial success and, Eddie, I want to ask you, because um, I consider that you have obviously been quite successful with everything that you've achieved to date, what would you say has been the biggest contributor to your success? Is that a bit of a curveball? Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I love curveballs. Um, curveballs lead to much better conversations generally. Um, <laughs> otherwise, things just, they just stay on the surface. Um, you know, what, I, I think um, as a start, as a start, I, I, I need to communicate just my, at least my gratitude and acknowledgement about the way I grew up, um, which was uh, I had a, a loving family and, and parents that supported me. Um, your parents that were able to to fund my tertiary studies um, and create that foundation for me to ultimately, you know, take take risks um, in my professional or adult career. And, and knowing that, you know, those the you know the path that I chose might lead to mistakes, might lead to failures, right? Might lead to that kind of reset that I need to take. But I had that safety net and i think you know as i said i there's immense gratitude in that i think it would have been so much harder if that wasn't the case um and the acknowledgement part thereof is is also just my privilege in that regard i um i can't begin to think that without that i i would have had the journey that i've had um so that's probably the first thing 
the second thing of it is probably the fact that I, I, I've never been afraid to take a chance. Even though I'm relatively risk averse, I, I, I will always, I, you I, I will call always yourself be... risk averse. I'm quite <laughs> surprised to hear that. And, and yes, that's because many people expect me to say, like, just be like, you know, Eddie's just a risk, risk taker. Like, look at his journey. He, like, he loves taking risk. I absolutely despise risk. I just acknowledge that, you know, there's very few things in life that, um, that we can do without any risk. So what I like to do is I like to figure out exactly what the risks are, um, what the worst case scenario is. And then I love the, the, the Stoics, um, in the philosophy. They, what they did is, um, and I totally butcher this. this is, these are my own words, right? But they would often, you know, the likes of Seneca, spend about a month of of their lives living in the kind of simulating worst living conditions they could yes. at that stage. Like, and what they wanted to kind of you know, teach themselves is that mental toughness of saying, if I can survive that, then I can survive anything. So yes. in that same way of just thinking about risk, the way I think about it is I define that worst case scenario. And if I can still live with the worst case scenario, if I'm still okay, even if that w- total worst case scenario happens, then I will probably do things. And then I switch to a different mode, which is like, how can I move quickly enough that I'm just constantly learning? Um, like, you know, challenging myself, learning, um, evolving, like, and, and not sticking too closely to the path that I set out on, um, if I learn new things. The, the one thing that I absolutely love, and this is not my own quote, but is the idea of strong opinions loosely held. And what that just means is, I think to accomplish most things in life, you need that conviction. You need to have an opinion. You need to be slightly different than kind of the, the, the mainstream. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to change your mind when when you learn new facts in future. In fact, when, when you're presented with a better version of the truth, like nothing should stop you from adopting that truth, that new truth, that new version of the truth and saying, you know what? I, I've learned something new. I was wrong in the past. This is better, right? And you should be like, that's not hypocritical. That's just, um, that's just, I think that's just smart. So, you know, if you, if I think, and if I have to answer that new question directly beyond my upbringing, I think it is that, you know, my comfort with being uncomfortable in, in taking risks and doing things that are uncertain in, 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 in the short term and doesn't have that guaranteed outcome in the long term. When you were saying that you are, you would say that you're risk averse, you just, it's, and I was quite surprised. I'm thinking it's not actually that you are risk averse. It's just that you assess the risk and you're careful. Yes. Cause you know, I, um, I think the thing we often neglect and in taking these risks is the fact that, you know, if risky behavior for ourselves, I think it's to some extent it's perfectly fine if the only risk was to myself, but oftentimes the decisions we, we make, the actions we take, the, if they're risky, they affect the people around us as well. Hence why I think it's important to, to be cautious or at least pragmatic and smart about how we undertake those risks, right? And, Absolutely. you know, many of us don't, it kind of don't even think about the risk we take every time we get into our car and we drive on on the highway and it's just there's a normalization around some of these risks that we take every single day um so for me it's just about being aware of those risks thinking them through uh and then figuring out like again like when 
Because many of these things you can probably spot, like most risks don't just pop out out of nowhere. They are at least theoretical risk, right? And you can foresee that and you can always build contingencies into your plan. But again, the key there is one needs to be aware of those things. And the more proactive one is about mitigating those things or addressing them, the more likely it is that you're going to be successful. Yes, and you're quite right that the risk never only affects you as an individual, there's always a ripple effect. It's going to affect other people as well, whether it's um, colleagues, your team, your family, and you need to take that into consideration. Totally. And I think, you know, it's like that for me, that was a, a big lesson. And again, one of those hindsight lessons, um, you know, about four or five years ago, I got to a point in, in my life where uh, big parts of my, my, literally my life was on fire and falling apart. And what I, what I learned in throughout this kind of this very risky path of you know, being an entrepreneur and building a business was that you know strewn across you know alongside the road on that you know, journey that I had been on was all these life costs that I had incurred, um, all this collateral damage that I created, and crucially most of it was not for me to bear. I had put it on the the people that mattered most around me, right? Um, my wife, my kids, um, you know, my family, my, my my close friends, and I think like that's. You know, for, for ambitious people, we often, we get so intoxicated by this vision that we have and the momentum that we often get in pursuing these things that we almost get this little bit of tunnel vision and we don't consider what this actually means beyond us. And, and I don't think there's a malicious intent in that. Absolutely. Um, my intent wasn't malicious, but uh, you know, ignorance is not bliss in that regard, and ignorance should not be held up as a as a defense. I think, as you know, as a, ambitious individuals, we can definitely take responsibility for our actions and be aware of what is happening around us and making sure that we're not creating that collateral damage around around this pursuit that we have, this ambitious yes. pursuit that we have towards our goals. Yeah, very important. We're going to take one final break, and then we'll be back with a wrap up. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am back to wrap up with my guest for today, Adi Pinar. And we've been talking about his book, Life Profitability, and the concept of the new measure of entrepreneurial success. And it really has been a fascinating conversation, um, Adi, I have to say. But I have to ask you, we've been talking about success and what you um attribute your success to so what's next for you i mean you always seem to have a project on the go a new company that you're starting up um so what's next on the cards yes uh so so i have started uh, a new company very recently um uh, again in the software space and in the e-commerce space so a space that i'm very very familiar with um we just raised a round of capital for that as well and you should be releasing the first version in the coming weeks so so that's been exciting i think interestingly enough though there's for, for me again like I, i've spoken about that learning and evolution and uh i really am viewing this uh this new company both as a kind of progression of the things we started with my previous company convergio um but then also trying to do things in a kind of different and and, and better way and, and for me what i would love to do is because i think many people that read Kind of, that has read my book and has said, yes, Eddie, like many of these things resonate with me, but then they always have these buts because the, I think the, this idea of 
building a business that is life profitable is very, very new. And, you know, people tend to gravitate back to, back towards the, the mental model that they understand for businesses, which is, you know, capitalism, financial profit, etc. So what I really hope to do with the new business is, um, is do so and, and prove to everyone that I can do that in a way that is life profitable, which means that I am, you know, sharing, openly sharing updates about the business on, on my own blog, for example. And I'm actually sharing, like one of the things I'm sharing my, literally my health data to prove to people that I am working sane hours and I'm not neglecting my exercise or sleep as I, as I build this business. So that, that really is in terms of, you know, if you ask me like what, like what, what's one of the things, you know, gets me up, um, in the morning at this stage, like that is, that is what I'm working you know, on and, and towards at this stage. So, so you mentioned your blog. So where can people go to read your blog? Yeah. So the, the, the blog's address is adii.me. Um, that's my, my personal website. I'm also adii, um, on Twitter where I'm, that's the only social kind of your platform that I'm pretty active on. But on both of those, you should be able to get a sense both about what I'm doing today, but also my blog, I believe includes, you know, 10, 11 years of writing. So if you're, if you're that interested to see kind of, you know, who I was, um, and the thoughts that I had all those years ago, you can totally go dig into those archives as well. And, and let's not forget, this is actually your fourth book and your previous books. You've got Rockstar Business and a book called Branding as well. And you also have a collection of poetry. Yes. Uh, the, the poetry was an interesting pursuit, Janice. It was one of the things, um, at the back end of 2017, um, you know, Converger, we, we hit the skids a little bit and, uh, had a bit, we had financial challenges in the business and I found myself in a bit of a hole personally as well. And, um, I can't remember for what reason, um, but I picked up some contemporary poetry by a poet called Rupi Kaur. And, um, very, yeah, very I, popular, very popular. Exactly, exactly right. And I, and I, and I read it and I was like, wow. This, and this was the first poetry that I'd read since high school, right? Where I was forced to read poetry. I never thought yes. that I was into po- poetry. And, you know, kind of Rupi's work really resonated with me and set me down this path of reading more poetry. And I, as I read it, I told myself, hey, Hold up. I, I like to write like, and like contemporary poetry doesn't have all the, the rules that we got taught in high school about poetry. Like I should try my, my hand at this. So I, I wrote a bunch of poems that, um, at that stage, I think also helped me through that tough spot in, you know, in the business and ultimately kind of, you know, helped set at least me personally, right? As an entrepreneur and as a, as a business and team leader in my own business, but help create that. Um, that next foundation that we ultimately needed to build that last phase of the company before before selling it about two years later. Right. Eddie Pinar, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you this morning. Thank you for being a fabulous guest. Awesome. Thank you so much, Janice. I've enjoyed it's it. It's an absolute pleasure. And if you're listening, take care, wear a mask, and read a book. There is no show next week, so I will wish you a wonderful and kosher Pesach and everything of the best.